Thank you for joining us for the Lafayette Church of Christ Sermon Podcast. Please join us each week as we listen to lessons given on Sunday mornings at the Lafayette Church of Christ. Let God arise and you sit down. Well, good morning. You all ready for this? It's always a crazy ride when I preach, so we'll see. Uh, it is an honor to be here. Uh, Kyle is not, which is why I am. So uh, I guess one of my goals today is to make sure that you are grateful that Kyle returns. And when you see him, you're like, oh, I'm so glad you're back. Please don't do that to us ever again. But I will warn you, Kyle gave me a section of scripture that just screams out for me to be a coach. And I am a coach. I love coaching. I've done it for, oh my goodness, I don't know, 25, 30 years. And it's pretty hard to take out of me because that is just so much uh, where I've been in my life and what I've done in my life. And so you're going to get a bit of that coach today. So I hope that you are comfortable because I'm going to make you uncomfortable because Paul, during this section of scripture, kind of kicks you in the hiney. And yes, I said that because we have children's church. And I was told that I was going to have some salty language today, and that is about as good as you're going to get. But he does seem to prick us right here quite a bit, and I enjoy that, and I'm looking forward to that. So here we go. Let's see if this works. Awesome. First of all, Paul starts out with this idea that he is also a work in progress. Now, for me, that's a little bit disconcerting, because if Paul is a work in progress, the guy who's written most of our New Testament, well, if he's still working on it, that must mean that... I need to be working on it, that I have not already arrived, and that is exactly his wor- use of words. And what has he not arrived at? He has not arrived at the resurrection, the salvation, the final goal, the thing that he is aiming for. And this goal just keeps coming up throughout this section of scripture, and I think that's why the coach in me comes out, because I'm thinking, oh, it's a goal, it's something you're going to attain. Yes, that is my language. In fact, I got uh, questions about what the sermon title was going to be, and I thought about naming it that. Goal! And if those of you that know me know I love my soccer. And I thought, yeah, okay, maybe not. Let's try something a little more toned down, which is not me. So we're not going to be toned down today. But Paul is a work in progress. And, and that's so wild that he is still working through his life, through these letters, that he is also striving towards something. And so really today, if we're talking about goals and what I'm hoping to achieve, is that is, it is number one that. I want you to realize that you have not already arrived. And I think we've kind of lost our way in a little bit in how we look at the Christian walk. And so I hope to correct some of that this morning. He then goes on to say that he is not perfect. I found this from, uh, I got it from the office, but I hear it's also the good place. This Poe Buddy's nerfect. Yeah, I can't even spell it correctly. Paul is not perfect. Whoa, 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 let me say that again. Paul is not perfect. That's a little bit also challenging for me. This guy that writes to so many churches telling them how they should be better, how they should do something more, he says, I am not perfect. I love that. I can relate to that. I like somebody who's real with me and is honest with me and says, I'm working on this and I have not attained it. And I am a work in progress. Not only that, in verses 5 and 6, remember, what does he say? If you all want to boast, I can boast with the best of you. I am a Jew among Jews. I was circumcised on the eighth day. We got this last week from Kyle. 
he says, hey, I'm pretty close. You think you're good? I got you beat. But even I am not perfect. I'm working on it. I'm striving towards this goal, which is where he goes to next. Sorry, one more piece in here. And this is the one where, hey, you go, you want your moment of comfort? Here's your moment of comfort. And that is, he says, that I was called by Christ. I belong to Christ. Now, for our young people, you guys all spread out on me. This is huge. You all are in this stage of development where you're growing and figuring out who you are and what you are, and you're trying to figure out your identity. Who am I? What am I? You see some of our young people going around here, a couple of girls got some pretty crazy hair, and you're like, oh my goodness, what is that about? She's figuring herself out. She's figuring out, do I want green, or am I red, or am I a blonde? You know what? They're figuring it out. They're kind of working through this little journey. Michael, you next? Green hair? No, not, so, not, so not his identity. In fact, in high school, I think if you guys remember, you probably did some of the same things. Am I a basketball player? Am I a, am I a band? Am I in choir? And see, we even do that as adults. If I were to say, who are you, what's one of the first things you would go to? Job. I'm an architect. I'm a, an accountant. I am a, you, your job is who you are? That's not who you are. That's what you do. So imagine this idea. Instead, the very first thing that came out of your mouth and you said, who are you, is I'm a Christian. Why? That's the only one that matters. I think we can find that from Solomon. <laughs> As he says, there's only one thing that matters. What is my identity? I belong to Christ. And everything else is peripheral. This is the only one that matters to me. And I think Paul is very good at following that line. I don't know how many of you got to, work, or got to church today like this. Did you drive just through the rearview mirror? You went to church just like that, looking in that rearview mirror the whole way, getting there, getting there, oh, oh, a little bit there. No? Well, Paul gives us some comments along this line, and he says, I want you to forget what is behind. And that's hard for probably some of us. <laughs> Forget what is behind. In other words, don't drive your whole life looking in the rearview mirror. That everything is about what happened to you in your past. I think we live in a very uh, a culture that uh, leans heavily on, I am an injured person, and that is who I am. No. You are a person that was injured. And I know injuries sometimes can be very hard to get over and overcome, but he's saying, I forget what is behind. Why? Because I'm moving forward. I have a goal. I'm striving towards something in the future, so I can't spend all of my time looking in the past. I love soccer. As I said, I train goalkeepers, and I love training goalkeepers because their world is a very odd one. Here's what we want you to do, young person. I want you to stand right here. They're going to take a ball, and they're going to shoot it at you as hard as they can, and your job is to not get out of the way, but instead get in the way. We want you to throw your hands, your face, whatever, your body in the way of it and try to stop that. In other words, I need you to be absolutely insane. If you were even crazier, you'd probably be a hockey goalkeeper because <laughs> they're going to shoot that little thing even faster, <laughs> and we want you to do the exact same thing. 
But the thing I really love about training goalkeepers is their world is different than the rest of the people on the field. See, everybody else on the field, they run around, they do stuff, they move the ball or the puck, whichever you like, and they work themselves towards the goal, and they score, and then they all run up and they go, yeah, look at us, we scored. You know what the goalkeeper does? That's nice. And they stay back here. So their world, really, for a goalkeeper starts at zero, and then if they get scored on, it's negative one negative two, negative three. Very rarely does a goalkeeper ever feel like he gets positive. You want to talk about forgetting what is behind? Goalkeepers live in the world of forgetting what is behind. I was a very good goalkeeper because I can barely remember what happened to me yesterday. So it was not hard for me to forget what was behind. I got scored on. What is the score anyway? I just kept going, all right, next challenge. Here we go again. All right, next challenge. Here we go again and you forget all of what just happened because I'm already looking on to the next thing that's coming. Paul asks us as Christians to forget some of what is behind. Use that rearview mirror. You check it occasionally to learn from it. When I train goalkeepers, I always come down at halftime and I go, okay, you got scored on three times in the first half. Okay, let's talk about goal number one. What'd you do right? What did you do wrong? Okay, so what did you learn? All right, good. All right, well, let's move on. Goal number two. What happened? What did you do right? What did you do wrong? Okay, let's move on. And that's the way we work. Imagine our Christian walk like that. I came in contact with somebody. Did I do a good job representing Christ? What did I do right? What did I do wrong? Okay, I learned from it. Let's move on. Next. And our whole life worked along that idea. No longer am I a demoralized Christian. I am a Christian that might have gotten hurt once or twice, but I'm always straining towards what is ahead. Jake, you ready to help me? Paul talks about this idea of straining, straining towards what is ahead. And so I think of this little band right here, and this is really what straining looks like. All right, Jake, give it to me. Yes, strain. Come on, work, work. See, I told you the coach is going to come on, Jake. You're better than that. You got this. Yes, yes, yes. Excellent. And slowly come back to me, otherwise we're going to get snapped. Woohoo! Do you notice I let him run away from me rather than vice versa? He just snapped me right in the backside. Thanks, buddy. Oh, wait. I need you some more. So Paul is straining, this strain. You see, when this thing gets pulled so far, it gets harder and harder and harder. And so he's working through this whole process. And I think this is exactly Paul's world. He was in a world of straining, and he talks about the fact that he was facing world of persecution. And I think about the church at that time, I think about the letters that he wrote at that time, that they dealt with something that I don't think we truly understand, and that is persecution. Let's see if I can get it. There it is. Right there. I think our world changed with this guy. This is about 310, somewhere around that, A.D. A guy by the name of Constantine came along. And he changed our Christian walk dramatically, and here's why. Prior to Constantine, persecuting Christians. And here's something, by the way, that threw my mind like crazy. Imagine all of the letters that are written in the New Testament. Most of the New Testament is written with an idea of persecution in mind. When he's writing to people, they're persecuted church. Does it change... Some of what he has to say, imagine what he would say to us today. We're not a persecuted church. This is our church, thanks to Constantine. Go ahead, Jake. I mean, really, you guys can speak about Christianity anytime you want, right? 
you drove to church this morning and you could walk right in and you could worship as loud as you want, right? And if you want to, you could get mad at me and walk up and leave and, yeah, okay, sure. You're allowed that. Where's the persecution for today's church? And we love it. America's beautiful. It's great. We're not persecuted. But you know else we are not? Jake, how strong are you getting? Keep going. You getting any stronger? No. How about now? A little bit? How about if you did this every day for a while? How about now? Are you getting stronger? Yeah. All right, you're getting stronger. I'll come to you. <laughs> I think there's something to be said for persecution. I hate, I'm good, buddy. You could have just left it right there, man. <laughs> Love that kid. I hate lifting weights. I really do. It's, it's just obnoxious to me. I get in there, I'm like, I got, I'm not going to lift the thing. But until I actually get in there and lift the weights, I'm not going to get any stronger. I, I need the weight room to be able to accomplish what I'm wanting to accomplish. I want to get stronger. I need resistance. So I do. I love the fact that we are a free country and we get this opportunity to worship freely. Yes, yes, it's wonderful. What has it made us, though? I'm sorry, it has made us a little soft. We could use a little persecution in our lives. Why? It will only make us stronger. If you never go out of your comfort zone and try to push the limits of what your Christian walk is, I don't think we're going to truly achieve what we should achieve, which is a lot stronger Christian that is willing to spread the message in good times and bad times, looking to Christ through the difficult times as well as the good times. That's what Paul is talking about to the church at the time. We share in his sufferings. Hmm. <clears throat> Found this, uh, <laughs> this verse in a fiction book of all places, but it really just resonated with me because I think this is the complaint I had growing up. See, I was one of those CFC kids. Spent them all the time in those, in those chairs right there. Ah, if only they had them soft chairs, please. I got the hard pew, baby. <sighs> what a verse, though. I changed one word to make this thing applicable to us, and I think it holds true. I wonder if sometimes we put the church as an institution before the people we serve. I wonder if we let it become the goal in itself instead of a means to help us achieve greater goals. Ladies and gentlemen, Paul is going to tell us this is not the goal. And I, I'm afraid that's what we've done to the church today. We said, hey, young person, we're so happy. We're going to introduce you to Christ. We're going to let you know all about him. Okay, great. And you say you want to get baptized, and that's wonderful. And you did it. Done. Done? Is that the discipleship you read about in the New Testament? That's not done. What did we do? We made the church the goal. We got them in here. We got them in the seats. Maybe got them giving a little. Maybe. <laughs> goal achieved. No, no. This is not the goal. This is the support system. This is the place where you bring praise to God. One of the many places. <laughs> So I hope you didn't come here thinking that this is going to achieve what you needed for the week. 
because I'm afraid at that point we failed miserably. Because more than likely, for many of us, we come through the door and we sit down and maybe talk to two, three people, and then we get up and we leave. What really did you accomplish? You gave your praise and your glory to God. Thank you. You interacted with those two or three people. That's really now your church. You helped bring the volume of the songs we're going to sing with us. You gave to God, I hope. That's good. So there are a few things I think that you could say you achieved, but for the most part, filling a chair is not a Christian walk. And Paul is pretty blunt here to say it's more than that. And I need to kick you in the backside and get you moving. Because there's work to be done, and we're all going to do it. So I press on to this goal. And the goal is not here, and the goal is not just to be a good person. Instead, we're going to hold true. You see, life is more like this marathon. It's not, hey, let's quickly get you to know about God, and we're going to get you into the water, and now you're done. That's not it. That's a short race. That's a piece of the process. Instead, he says, it's a marathon. This is going to take a long time. And we're going to work at it for a very long time. And in the marathon, sometimes people will pass you by, and sometimes you'll pass others by. I decided when in my 20s I was going to I'd do a, a marathon, so I did one of those. And I was like, that's neat. And then I decided, you know what, I'm going to try one of these triathlon things. And for me, I don't go small. So I decided to do a half iron. So it's like, I don't know, 1.2 miles of swimming, 55 miles on a bike, and a half marathon, all in one chunk, because I'm an idiot. <laughs> and I remember doing the, the, they like sent you out based on your gender and your, and your age, and so it was like, okay, all you fast people, we're going to send you out first so that these other ones don't get in your way, and then we're going to send out the, I don't remember at the time, it was maybe 30-year-old men, and well, you guys go, then we're going to send out the 30-year-old women, and I remember getting out of the water and looking over, and here's some lady <laughs> who, she left five minutes after I did. She caught me. And so we get on the bike, and I'm chugging along, chugging along, chugging along, doing good. And it's two laps. So 20-something mile lap. <laughs> and I just remember going like this, and I hear this. And I look over to my left, and I see this guy on a bike. And I was like, I didn't know a bike could make that sound without an engine. And he like that. He was already done. He lapped me. On a 27 and a half, yeah, mile lap, he lapped me. And then right then, here comes the lady passing me. Hi. I was like, just keep going, just keep going. That race was eternal. By the time I got time to running, I was like, you sure we're not done yet? Uh, hit my first hill, and I said, yeah, walking looks nice. Whew, okay, let's try that. It was eternal. And through the whole process, I didn't get to stop working. I worked on the swimming, and I worked on the biking, and I worked on the running, and I worked and worked and worked until I reached the end. And I think that's what Paul is saying to the church here. Guys, there's work to be done, and it's not the end. We're not perfect. We haven't finished the goal. We haven't accomplished all that we want. We have more to do. And so I give you the biggest challenge I want here, and that is this right here. It talks about this idea that... Paul is continually straining, pressing towards. He is in the process of growing. So let me ask this honestly. Are you still growing? Both in Romans and in Corinthians, they talk about this idea of a mature and a weaker Christian. Generally revolves around food you can eat. 
by the way, if you want to really dig into it, look at who the stronger one is and look at who the weaker one is and compare it to other things that you run into in life. It'll mess with your head a little bit. A stronger and a weaker Christian. Now, they use the word mature, and so I think that one really hurts us because we think mature. Well, I'm older than you. That means I'm mature. Thanks, Jack. He shook his head no. <laughs> that is so, yeah, so wrong. I am as about as immature as they come, and you let me get up here with a microphone. You're crazy. So there's a stronger and a weaker brother. What makes you stronger? Well, that means something had to change from the moment you became a Christian to the time when you became that stronger Christian. Something. What is the something? Well, it generally revolves around faith. They're stronger in faith. They've learned to rely on God more. They've learned to look to God more. So really then, if we're going to take it from our standpoint, a stronger and a weaker Christian, let's use things that, because we like to judge everything. Well, let's say this. If you're a weaker Christian, probably your giving's not as good. If you're a stronger Christian, your giving should be phenomenal, right? You've learned that you can give more to God because you don't need it. God will provide. Let's try uh, your Bible study. Well, a weaker Christian is probably not going to study as much. A stronger Christian is going to be constantly in the Word, reading other authors to find other information. Is that what's happening? Or is it, hey, you're, new, you're a new Christian? You probably better read the whole Bible. You better get to read and you've got to catch up. Catch up? Where does catch up come from? I'm not talking about the bottle. <laughs> There's no catching up. Why? Because you're constantly growing. You see, here's my issue. I think we've become too stagnant. <laughs> we said, yeah, we did it. Accomplished. And we just sit. I, I don't want to sit. Mike talked me into being on a committee to find a youth minister. I said, <laughs> committee? You know what committees do? They sit and they talk. And then they want to meet again and they sit some more and they talk some more. I don't like either of those things. Talking's okay. <laughs> I want to go. I want to do. Camp is a perfect place for me. <laughs> It's just one big 225 acres of things to do. Go, Nate, pick one. It's like the dream come true for me. But even for me, is that my only ministry? Is that all I'm called to? I think there's more I could do. What else can I do? And I'm constantly in that process. What else can I do? Where else can I serve? I do still go into the schools, and I enjoy going into the schools. Why? Because I really like working with teenagers. They're funny. To me, they're just comical. You guys all will probably go, well, they're annoying. If you're teachers, you're probably really saying it at this point because it's now April, and you're like, I'm done with them. Give me summer break. I like teenagers because they're just honest, and they're not just a little bit honest. They're brutally honest. They will tell you like it is. They're like, you look bad today. Okay, yeah, thanks. Man. You're looking old, Riser. Yep. <clears throat> In fact, when I was coaching my last couple years, they called me saggy knees. I was no longer coach. I was saggy knees. I was like, saggy knee? What in the world? I couldn't figure it out. And then I got a mirror. And you know how your knees sometimes get ashy? Yeah, that's how I got saggy knees. I was like, awesome. I'm the old coach with saggy knees. Didn't care. Those boys and the girls that I coach would do anything for me. Why? I'd formed a relationship with them. I created a connection with them. They knew I would do anything for them. They, in turn, would give me the best that they had. 
I'm sorry if I was too difficult on you guys today. It was more of a prodding. If it was more than that, my apologies, but I do want to kick us into gear. There's so much work to be done. Look at the chairs next to you that are empty. How do we fill them? We don't do it by coming in and sitting in one of them. <laughs> You're like, wait, that's contradictory. But I need you to fill the one next to you, too, and one couple seats down. It's only going to happen by us going out there and really just putting it into work. We can do this, guys. We really can. You have the talents and the gifts. My goodness, I really enjoy watching the Ruckmans when every time they get up here. I'm like, I'm talented boys. <laughs> goodness gracious. Puddlewitter, good job this morning, buddy. I know you hate coming up here. <laughs> Love it. You have the talent. Some of you are getting a little bit longer in the years, and you're like, I don't move as well as I do. You know what? Talk about this guy named Barnabas. That was incredible. Was it Barnabas, the encourager? Can you become, can you transition from the major worker to become the encourager? The one who's constantly writing cards and letters and telling people how incredible they're doing and encourage the others to keep going. Talents and gifts come in many different forms, and I think you have plenty of them. The question is, how are we going to use them? You guys, of course, the prayer room is available. Zellers are going. Let's go ahead and stand together and sing this morning.